What's up, guys? Welcome to the Dumb Man Podcast. I'm your host, Meep, and with me today, we have Marco. Yo. Marco is going to talk to us about training the dog in front of you. What are some things you can uh, look for? What are some factors to know, some concepts to think about when you're trying to attack problems, when you're trying to motivate your dog, when you're trying to train your dog? The first one is really, really important for him to to know and so it helps him train all his dogs uh the first topic he's going to talk to us about is called umwelt and uh marco can you tell us a little bit about umwelt uh yeah so the umwelt uh, in other words it's a self-world uh comes from a german biologist uh jacob von Huskel. Uh, I got that from a book, uh, Inside of a Dog, by Alexandra Horowitz. Uh, that one spoke out to me a lot uh, whenever I first started uh, training one of uh, my last dogs. He had a lot of behavioral issues. And I started wanting to dive a little deeper on why he does the things he does. Uh, so when I came across this, uh, basically started getting me to think on what, how this dog perceives things, right? So uh, you want to consider that whenever you're first training a dog. So what, how does this dog perceive his experiences? Uh, it starts going into how, what motivates them, you know, how at times, the the way they acquire a toy or a reward sometimes isn't just giving it to them. Uh, you know, sometimes it requires chasing, getting a little bit animated. Do they like engagement? Do they like tugging? Do they not? What aversive behaviors do they show you at times? You know, it starts helping you control their training environment, uh, you know, preventing any type of conflict. Also helps you when starts when it starts becoming too much for your dog, and when is effective learning actually taking place? Uh, so, so this one spoke a lot to me, uh, and then from from here on, I just you know started getting a deeper understanding of what what my dog actually likes. How am I going to get them to do the things I need them to do because they want to? You know how you know. Um, if you got any questions about that. So when we first started talking about it, I didn't quite understand. I never actually heard of Umwelt before. Uh, I really like it though. And, and I looked, I had to look it up a little bit and it's kind of, it's like psychology, biology, sociology term. And what it, what it, the kind of the definition that I looked up or I read when I looked it up was it's the world as, ex- as experienced by uh, another organ uh, organism. And so, you know, I look at that and I think about, well, basically what it's telling you is to understand what motivates the dog and what, you know, the dog's trying to avoid and to use that. Well, I guess it's not telling you that, but we want to use that to our benefit uh, when it comes to training the dog, especially when it comes to getting the dog to do something uh, out of positive motivation and not negative motivation. However, understanding their umwelt also understands, you know, their negative motivation as well. Which kind of brings me into like the next topic that we want to talk about, uh, motivation. And so, can you tell us a little bit about 
you know, how motivation will affect training? Yeah, so, again, it goes back to Umwell, right? So what what is your dog really motivated by? What drives him? Um, how do we get these dogs to complete a task? Uh, as I said, the acquisition of reward is super important. Um, I, I see this mistake a lot. A lot of uh, people, you know, tugging with their dog and creating conflict, you know, when they're already having trouble outing um, that or wanting to forcefully in- engage, making the engagement happen. But realistically, you want to find what motivates them first. Do they like the chase? Do they like the, you know, engagement with you? Do they like possession? Uh, obviously, you find a little bit of of, uh, of a balance between that. Um, so, for example, my current dog, uh, when I first picked her up, she had a lot of competing motivators. Obviously, she's she's green and super antsy. So when I would be doing obedience with her, uh. I had to find a way to become that center of attention. And she loved the engagement, but at times she'll, you know, starts, you know, drop the toy, start, start sniffing the ground. Just told me that, oh, she seems pretty bored. So then started changing it up. Well, she's a little, she's a mal, so obviously high drive. Uh, I start running with the toy. I don't know if you've seen Michael, Michael Ellis do it. Uh, you know, creating the reward events, you want to make it uh, a contrast to normal behavior. So tell them sit, for example, and yes, you start moving around, making them chase a toy, making them miss it, you know, going to the other side, making them miss it, and they win it after that, you know, and going back into what motivates them, you know, at times, some dogs don't like to miss you know, some dogs shut down. You gotta, you gotta pay attention to those, to those things. You, you want to pay attention to how, you, how your reward event is, uh, because at times uh, the acquisition of reward is, is, is super critical in order to get a dog interested in doing the things you you need them to do. Uh, and to them, it's more so that they want to do it because of that reward event. You know, uh, right. But- I mean, that's a really good point. I mean, just because you give the dog a Kong doesn't mean that they're going to necessarily be reinforced by it, right? It's it's the dog having want the Kong and then desire it again. Therefore, he will perform those certain behaviors again in order to hopefully get the Kong again. But the fact that you just gave him a Kong isn't necessarily rewarding in itself. And just because you gave him a Kong and maybe you're tugging it away from him doesn't mean that he actually likes the event. Um, so exactly. what you're saying is that we need to learn the best way to motivate our dog because some dogs are, uh, you know, they do like to possess. Some dogs do like uh, to tug. Some dogs do like to just chase and run around with it in their mouth. Right. And it's all, you know, dudes ways that we can motivate a dog to, like a certain one, right? Uh, but ultimately, you know, the dog's kind of 
uh, intrinsically have decided on a certain one that they prefer, and it changes throughout time. But, you know, knowing them will help us understand best to reward our dog. Essentially, it sounds like what you're saying. Exactly. I wanted to add also is uh, understanding the hierarchy reward is a big one. You know, um, obviously, we use Kongs a lot. Uh, but but at times, you ever pull out an Orby or, or a Tug or uh, a squeaky toy or something, and it, it drives them to the roof. And we want that. We understand the hierarchy, the type of reward, right? Um, what What's actually getting them to want to get that? Um, and also another thing is reinforcement. As you said, at times it's not just giving the toy. Um, and what a lot of people fail to understand is that some dogs do like the engagement from you. And if you need them to, to do a certain task, right? If you're giving them that engagement outside of tasks, like let's say like uh, obedience or everything, detection, obedience, um, and you're just taking your dog on a walk and, you know, you're, you're petting them and engaging with them outside of that. If they get that same reinforcement outside of that, we, they're, they're not really going to be much motivated to do the things that we actually need them to do. Uh, so in a sense, it's kind of like socially isolating them in a sense, kind of restricting their fun, uh, not giving them access to the fun, uh, especially when they're not motivated. Right. So restricting those, those forms of reinforcement only to whenever we need them to do that, right. It increases motivation because the only time they're getting that, that reinforcement of, you know, whatever reward it is that they like the reward event, they're, they're going to want to more than likely do, do that instead than just, you know, especially when you have a dog that, you know, sits, sits slow and, you know, goes down slow and they're just looking around, but you give them that same, re, you know, reinforcement outside of obedience. I mean, what, what makes you think they're going to want to be inside the OB yard whenever they're, you know, they're going to get that same reinforcement outside of it. So in order to, motivate them you you want to watch with what your reinforcement and watch your re your reward events um in and out outside of the tasks that we need them to do um i don't know if you got anything on that you can probably relate that to a lot of ogs talk about this uh this time in our community where for instance they didn't give the kong Anywhere outside of detection, like that was that was the only uh, reward they they used in detection, and they only used it in detection. And so, the concept behind it was that that would build value to the Kong and to the detecting odors, right? Like the the, the concept was the dogs valued it so much, but they would only get it for searching and detection, and that would make them search a lot harder. Uh, I still think this reigns true. We don't quite do that anymore. But I think there's some value in doing that. And so that was 
kind of my takeaway from you know what you're talking about. You're talking about uh, motivations and, and and why it's important to sometimes control their access to things that they find valuable because the more they get it and the more abundant it is, the less valuable it becomes. We talk about, you know, motivations. We talk about toys. Um, what about dopamine, you know, helps train dogs? Right. Uh, so we want to keep dopamine addictive, right? Uh, so essentially it's like, you go into, uh, I mean, a lot of people use it whenever you go into a casino. You don't always win, right? Uh, but whenever you do win, it's that, it's that dopamine is everything before that your actual reward. So whenever you actually win, it keeps you addicted to gambling. It you know, keeps you addicted to uh, playing Warzone because you don't always win. Uh, it, in the sense, if you relate this to dog training, is keeping keeping this addicted for them, keep, keeping this addiction going, keeping the fire going. Uh, this is going to come from, you know, as, we, as I said before, the the hierarchy reward uh, reward schedules. That's why we use a variable reward schedules, variable reward types. You know, uh, you're doing a couple of uh, or do you do an obedience session? Tell them to sit down, you know, heal, keep them going. Keep them guessing. When are they going to get that toy, right? And going into the reward types, you they don't always get the higher value toy, which is, you know, uh, for example, with my dog is a tug. You know, at times she'll get the Kong. You know, I keep like three toys on me. Uh, and you'll you'll see where she you know she's ready to go she she's super focused she's addicted to the to what's coming next what's when am I gonna get the this reward and which reward am I gonna get uh so you know goes back to to that what what I what I mentioned the hierarchy reward uh keeping keeping them guessing keeping them interested keeping them you know addicted uh motivated you know keeping them motivated in a sense you know the, what sense is it that you know uh, i think this is a, a big debate on variable reward schedules on uh and detection and i think that's something that cameron ford talks about it a lot and using different reward types uh and I've seen it before in one of the seminars on odor pays. They they use lower value uh, rewards, just like like food, and they end their the session with a a tug or a, a tennis ball or something, you know, because keeps them active, keeps them interested. Because at some point they're gonna get that higher value toy, uh, yeah, because everything before that, you know, with, with dopamine, it's it's everything before the the reward. Uh, I've heard misconceptions on dopamine being when they get the reward, but it's it's really not. Dopamine, the jackpot is after all that skyrocketing of dopamine. Uh, 
So yeah, I, I'm okay. I don't think on that. That makes sense. Yeah, you mentioned the uh, dopamine jackpot, and you talked about how you know you said dopamine is uh, you know before the reward, right? And I think maybe a better way to describe it is that like the dopamine is at its highest level before the dog gets rewarded, and once it gets rewarded, that's when it goes down, right? It doesn't go higher yeah, because the reward comes. It goes down when the reward comes, uh, and so the anticipation and the and the work is actually what becomes addicting, not necessarily the reward, right? Because you're exactly. addicted to the work in order to get the reward, but your dopamine levels are significantly higher while you work, right before you get the reward. And so that's why, you know, like you, you might have mentioned, the uh, casinos become addicting and, and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, right. that's why you see dogs, you know, freak out. You know, when they predict is about the time that you're going to give them a reward. That's why dogs break, because they're predicting that that's about the time. And their dopamine is, you know, super, super high. So, yeah, uh, definitely, you know, using variable uh, reinforcement schedule definitely helped. Get a dog to. Yeah, but it'll help, it'll help a dog to find it more addicting um, by. You know, you're not telling it all when it's going to come, you know, keeping them on their toes. And so it'll get them to work a little bit longer, maybe a little bit harder because they know that they can come early. It might come a little bit later. It might come somewhere in between. Right. Awesome. And so talk about dopamine. And so when we talk about dopamine, we also have to talk about stress. Um, We have to talk about how that affects your training. Maybe how it can benefit, maybe how it can take away from, you know, effective training. But what do you kind of have to tell us about that? Right. So essentially too much stress, right? Learning isn't going to be taking place. Uh, you want to use their frustration to your ability, but you have to learn when it's too much. Because at times dogs shut down. They get too frustrated. You got to start reading their body language. Um, you know, they start, you know, for example, you're working on an out with your dog. And the most effective learning is going to be like, once the out gave you one good out, you know, you want to probably try to end it there before they start getting stressed you know their cortisol levels start increasing you know they start getting edgy they start whining you know at that point too uh let's say with obedience whenever you're you know they're getting a little whiny they're starting offering two crazy behaviors and you you want to try to avoid that because they're not really learning at that point they're just trying to you know getting stressed they're getting frustrated they're giving you what they what you want what they think you want but realistically they're not really learning the task they're they're too you know stressed they're too uh, you gotta start paying attention to that uh, and I, I like i said i would notice that a lot with my with my last dog um i had to, I had to learn when when it was too much for him 
because if not, then you start seeing conflict. You know, at that point, there's no motivation there. At that point, there's there's conflict. There's they don't want to work with you. They're just trying to you know get what they want. And yeah, I mean, I don't know if I kind of hit that. It's kind of like a it's quick and simple. You don't want to stress your dog out too much. Yeah, exactly. Because you know, stressing your dog out. Uh probably you might even push them deeper, deeper into the hole that you're trying to come out of. So sometimes you got to take little victories. Um, You have to be willing to know when to stop training, when to put the dog up, when less is more, right? Uh, It's important because everybody always wants to end on a good rep. I don't really think that that's, I, I understand that sometimes there's benefit. We think there's real big benefits to it. But is it worth it to have nine bad reps just to get one good one and put the dog away? I don't know. No. Maybe the dog would find put, getting put away punishing, right? It finally did something, and now you're getting punished for it. Uh, there's a difference between um, trying to get end on good reps and effective training. Because if you're going to have ten reps and you know seven of them are good and three of them are bad... Even though the last one might have been a bad one, it was probably still a good training session, right? Like, we're talking about ratio-wise. The dog's performing, you know, probably significantly better than it was, or at least it's performing decent. Now you want to start trying to end on a good one, and that changes, you know, to 9 to 7, right? And then I would say yeah. if we're, 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 that's going to, that would be a bad session, maybe, right? So, uh, it's not always important to end on a bad or on a good rep. Sometimes it's just important to end when the ratio is still high. Something to consider. Yeah, I, I agree with that one. That one, that one's a that one's a big one. Uh, just learning where to put your dog up at that point. And at times, if you're not if they're not giving you what you what you want, um, you know. Lessen the criteria, you know, you, you read them, notice, notice what they're doing. You know, what, what are they showing you? Are they, do they seem stressed? Do they seem, you know, uh, give them something easy, give a quick, easy win. Um, cause at that point, like you said, like the rate, the ratio starts, you know, being offset and, you know, they give you one good rep on something and then, you want to see if they give you another one, and at that point, boom, it just starts. You start going into a, a rabbit hole, and starts getting deeper, and then up to the point till they give you a, a good one. Well, realistically, was there any learning taking place? You know, what did they learn from that? They learned that, you know, before, you know, uh, I don't know how to explain it. It's just. You just got to read your dog. And so and so with that, when we talk about learning when to put the dog up, knowing, knowing when to put the dog up, we have to talk about arousal levels. And when is it too much and, you know, and how much is needed? And what are some optimum levels? Uh, I think that it's too much when the dog is either reverting back to behaviors that you thought were gone or reverting back to steps that you thought the dog was past 
And there's pros, there's some pros to that too when the dog reverts back. But when it reverts back due to stress, that means that maybe it doesn't have quite the tools to advance it forward. Maybe it means you're making it too difficult for them. So they're just reverting back to the thing that they were last successful in. Uh, and so sometimes it's too much for the dog. Sometimes that may cause the dog to give up. And we don't want the dog to give up. So we have to understand that sometimes it's important to just lower the criteria in order to get them to do the behaviors that we are uh, we are, are desired of them. Um, and the arousal level that's needed depends on the task. It depends on what kind of training you're trying to do. If you're trying to teach the dog to touchpad, then maybe you don't want them to be at the highest level of intensity. Maybe if you're trying to teach the dog to uh, sit her down, you maybe you don't want them to be at you know level 100 of intensity because you want to teach them how to be a little bit more um, precise in the action rather than being all over the place. You know, and that sometimes they'll look like when you when you're having a dog sit and it's in like a half squat, half sit, right? Like that's a dog that's probably a little bit too aroused, and it takes away from the quality of that behavior. Now, it's also important to think about that sometimes when you're in the beginning stages of training dogs, that attitude is really really good, and it's more important than accuracy at the beginning because you can always sharpen it later. But when you're already deep into your training and you're trying to put higher criteria on it, or you already have put higher criteria on it, and you don't really want the dog reverting back, right? So the, sometimes you've got to have to control the arousal levels. Um, if you want to teach your dog to, to muzzle, right? Maybe it's, maybe it's better for you to use food than use a Kong because the dog's willing to make a little bit better decisions because its, mind not, it's, it's, it's arousal level's not so high, right? Uh, the, the reps are over faster and you can do more reps in the session by using food, uh, kibble or treats than by using the toy, which gets the dog tired. The dog's still focused on where the toys that may be in your pocket, maybe on the desk next to you. Right. Um, maybe the food doesn't get them thinking that kind of way. So it's something to think about when it comes to uh, arousal levels. And my opinion, an op optimal level in general is just the level that's appropriate. And that varies, like I said, per behavior. So you have to learn for yourself. I can't exactly tell you because it all depends on the dog and it depends on the, your style of training. So, and your goal for the dog. So it's, uh, what do you, what do you think? What do you think about arousal levels? Oh yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, very dog dependent. Um, like I said, going pretty much going into the topic of training the dog in front of you is paying attention to the dog. Before they start offering you behaviors that you don't want, let's say, like this goes into um, the touching, you know, uh, a lot of people like to spin up a dog right before going, you know, into a problem or, or so forth. So you're increasing their arousal levels to, to a maximum at that point, you know, using too much frustration. Uh, they start pawing at the you know, where the aid is at, at that point, 
you know, that's a, that's a little too much than what we needed. Uh, especially when we're teaching a dog, uh, or even in bite work. You know, if you're if you're working on a, a dog's outing issue on a on during bite work, Dequan needs to probably tone it down a little bit. The engagement in that, all the feedback that you're giving back to a dog, you want to keep it to a to a, a lower level in order for them to not get so aroused. If they're already, especially if they're already high drive, right? So uh, goes into everything. Like I said, you, you mentioned in obedience, you know, they start giving you behaviors that you start reverting back into what you don't want. Um, I think what's what's needed, like you said, this is whatever is appropriate for them to still be effectively learning and, and understanding the task itself in front of them. Um, and just using their their arousal there you know before they start getting stressed out you know before they start losing motivation to they start you know um they pretty much hit hit all the points that i that i pretty much agree with i mean everything so you you, you hit it well as we come to a close i think we had some very good um points today is there, you know, one piece of advice that you would give to uh, other canine handlers out there? Yeah, I think a big one would be uh, understand the dog in front of you. And that's just the topic for today. It just speaks for itself. Um, don't, don't get so caught up on, well, this way worked with my last dog. You know, uh, this way my dog from my, you know, my second dog learned this way. You know, the, the dog in front of you is going to be a lot different. Uh, obviously, you could apply the similar techniques, similar tools, but you gotta, you gotta get creative. You gotta start. It's, it's more than just the, the applications. It's more so the what, what your dog needs, what, what your dog wants. How, how are you going to get them to effectively learn the task in hand? What what are they showing you? Are they being aversive to certain things? Uh, are they being, uh, you know, are you causing conflict with, you know, tugging? Uh, just for a quick example, uh, you know, if, if you see that they're, you know, starting to whine, they're starting to pull back and they, then they get possessive, you know, well, well, why is that? You know, that's probably not what your dog wants. Maybe your dog wants to engage with you in, in, without having to tug, you know, and, Pretty much goes into everything. Anything, just watch what what your dog is showing you. Um, they get attention to their body language, what, how to motivate them, you know, and keep them learning at an optimal level. Awesome. That's. I mean, that's great advice. Uh, and like I said, simply what we talked about. Hopefully, these uh, topics and these points will help uh, the people out there understand. You know, train the dog in front of them, what to look for, and how to control some of the factors in the dog's life in order to affect its umwelt. Uh, and again, umwelt is U-M-W-E-L-T, umwelt. Go ahead and look it up for yourself and maybe get a better understanding of it. So make sure you guys are going to the website, taking the test, have your handlers take this test. It's a good benchmark for them to understand where they're at right now. And then maybe test them again in six months and see where they've gone. Uh, because a lot of handlers sometimes 
we aren't getting our heads into the regulation that we should know, especially if we want to become leaders in our kennels one day, right? We should know what's required of us. And there's a lot of good information in there that'll help you train your dog. So go ahead and take the test, see where you're at, and then you can also go in there and buy some merch. Uh, actually, Marco here was our hoodie winner from uh, shit, probably a couple months ago. But go ahead and buy some merch. Help out some handlers. I got the helping fund up. Um, you know, we need some applications. Apply. You already, if you already took a course, all you got to do is send me some proof. And we'll figure out what's a good reimbursement. So go ahead and fill out that form. You can do that by hit, hitting the Helping Handlers uh, tab. Thanks for tuning in to us. Uh, I appreciate all the feedback that we're getting. Um, if you haven't checked him out, check out K9Y. He's going to be on Spotify. Uh, he might be on some other ones. But check him out. Uh, he's going to be doing some good stuff for our community. And you'll be able to get, as he calls it, part of the recipe. Right? You'll be able to take some things from us, take some things from him, take some things from other people. So go ahead and check him out. You can also follow him on Instagram at K9Y. And we will catch you guys next time. See you later.